0: that's Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 to 32 therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour for we are members one of another be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you.
1: and is sharper than any double-edged sword and for father it is our prayer today that we would know that for ourselves and that we would experience the power of a living word within us today we pray the result of that would be fruit in abundance in our lives and in our church and that we would be a people to the praise of your glorious grace And all these things we ask in your name. Amen. If you were here two Sundays ago, you heard me describe John Bunyan's allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, as an immortal work. And if you've read it, then you will know Why? It's an unforgettable picture of the Christian life from beginning to end. Here's how it begins. As I, and that is John Bunyan, walked through the wilderness of this world, I came upon a certain place with a den. And that den was the the Bedford jail from which... Bunyan wrote this story. And I lay down to sleep. I fell asleep and dreamed. And in my dream, I saw a man clothed with rags, standing in a certain place with his face turned from his own house. In his hand, he held a book and he bore a great burden upon his back for he said my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden they weigh too much for me he opened the book and as he read he wept and trembled unable to contain his emotions any longer he broke out with a mournful cry what shall i do and we follow the man in rags christian as he is in the story from this world to the next that is to heaven And as we do that, we're shown how to walk, how to conduct ourselves, how to behave on the road to heaven, and how not to walk, how not to conduct ourselves, how not to behave on the way to heaven. Well, as a church, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. Uh, It was written by one of the leaders of the early church called Paul, written to the church there in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And in the first three chapters, Paul tells us how the church came to be, and in the last three chapters, he tells us how the church is to be. That is, how we are to walk, how we are to behave, how we are to conduct ourselves on the way to heaven. And you remember at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul wrote this, these words, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And last week, Paul compelled, compared rather the, the new self that we received when we became Christians to a new set of clothes. You remember that? He said, when you became Christians, you put off your old selves like a, 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 a maggot-infested garment that stank of vomit, and you put on a new self made in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Paul told the church, match your walk with your wardrobe. That is, match your conduct with your new self. If you have been clothed with righteousness then behave in a way that is righteous. If you have been clothed with holiness, then be holy in all of your conduct, even as you walk to heaven. And this week, Paul is going to show us what that looks like in practice. Paul is going to drill down into the nitty-gritty detail of the Christian life to show us what it looks like to match our walk with our wardrobe. Paul is going to identify behaviours and attitudes and habits for us to pursue and behaviours and attitudes and habits for us to avoid. Not for us to earn our salvation, but as those who have already received salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you are taking notes today, this message will simply be Match Your Walk With Your Wardrobe, part two. Before we get there though, church, let me assure you all of something. Our passage today is vastly more than a list of do's and don'ts vastly more immensely more than a a behavioral checklist for us to run down and tick off why well because Paul gives us reasons to heed his call and they are God entranced they are gospel saturated reasons it's not that Paul says do this because I say so no instead it's do this and here is why And there are two reasons in our passage for us to obey Paul's commands. And I want us to think of them today like two ropes that bind all of his commands together, and tie a lovely bow around them, as it were. Why should we walk in a a manner worthy of our calling? Why should we match our walk with our wardrobe? Number one, for one another. For one another. Behind every prohibition and behind every command in the passage is a concern for the health and for the well-being of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and so if I were to stand up here today behind this music stand and say don't do the things that Paul says not to do and do all the things that Paul says to do and then sat down this sermon would be a colossal failure Because behind and underneath and all around and above all of the prohibitions and all of the commands is a concern for the health and the well-being of the church of Jesus Christ. Let me show that to you. Verse 25, therefore, Paul writes, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for, here's the reason, we are members of one another. There's the logic. Think about that for a moment just as our our bodies have to send the right signal in order for one member to work properly with another member as the members of the body of Christ we too have to write have to send the right signals to one another if we are going to walk properly to heaven someone put it like this if our brain were suddenly to start giving false signals to our feet, we would stumble or walk in front of a moving van instead of stopping on the curb. If our eyes sent false signals to the brain, a dangerous curve on the motorway might appear straight and safe and we would crash. If our nerves in our hands and feet failed to tell our brain that injury was occurring, our foot could be mangled or our fingers burned without our knowing it. The church this commentator writes, cannot function properly if its members shade the truth with one another or fail to work together honestly and lovingly. So if someone in the church says, this church doesn't care for the vulnerable when we do, or if someone says, this church is sexist because only men can preach here when we are not a sexist church, if you believe those lies then this body will start to move in the wrong direction. That's when we as a church will step in front of a moving van. And that's when we will drive right into the curve on the M53. That's when our foot will be mangled or our fingers burned. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. On your anger. Now we might be very surprised that Paul encourages us here to anger, especially because in verse 31 he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger... Dot, 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 be put away from you. But what, co- what Paul is commanding or commending here is the kind of anger that keeps our light shining and our salt tanging as the church of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't rage against the corruption of children, if we don't rage against the exploitation of the poor and the marginalized in the world, if we don't rage against the blaspheming of God's name around the world, then our lamp has gone out and our salt is worthy to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. But at the the same time, Paul forbids the kind of anger that knocks the lamp over and burns the whole church down. We're to keep ourselves from an unrighteous anger. We're to keep ourselves from an anger that's born out of selfishness, an anger that festers, an anger that embitters. So friends, when Paul says there, don't let, your, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger, please don't take that too far. Please don't think that Paul is saying there, uh, you can be angry for longer in the summer When the sun takes longer to go down and you can be angry for a short amount of time in the winter when it goes down more quickly. No, the point is, don't be mastered by an unrighteous anger. Instead, master it. Because in the life of the church, unrighteous anger is like red meat to the devil. I want us to think of today of, of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander like bricks that are poking out of a wall. Uh, the more of them poke out of the wall, the easier it is for the devil to gain footholds, scale the wall of the church, and plunder our health. But when, verse 32, we are kind to one another, tender hearted and forgiving, then the wall is flush. And it is washed with oil, and the church is secure. In other words, the smoother our relationships, then the smoother the wall. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see, again, it wasn't merely behavioral modification, don't do this and start doing this. No, instead, the concern was a kind of work that would mean that everyone in the church has what they need. And verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And the word for corrupt there means spoiled, rotten, or putrid. It's the same word that Jesus uses In the Gospels for diseased trees or bad fruit or rotten fish. And the point is our words have the power to spread either disease or health in the church. Rot or recovery. Because as the Bible says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so it's so much more than don't use these bad words over here. No, instead it's fashion your words to ensure that the whole body is made healthy and is built up. And so let's say you're here today and your kids are in Sunday school. And on the way back from church, you ask one of your children, how was was Sunday school today? And he says, oh, it was great. We did this or we we learn that, then why not next Sunday, say to the, the Sunday school teachers today, do you know what, my, my son or my daughter is, is really going in and they, they love Sunday school and they're paying attention and your labor is not in vain, it's actually doing something in their life. Or if on the way out, you see someone in the church that just looks wounded and heartbroken, instead of avoiding that person, how about making a beeline for them and making them happy and healthy and holy in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? But honestly, let's ask the question, who cares? Like, who can be bothered with any of this? You're busy, I'm busy. What's the big deal when it comes to the church? Well, friends, here's the big deal. The church is nothing less Than the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was obtained by his blood. And therefore if Jesus shed his blood to redeem her. Then how dare we stain her robes with our dishonesty. How dare we blacken her eyes in a fit of rage. How dare you rob her by fevery or feed her rotten fish by your words given the price of her redemption there should be a corresponding high level of care for the church of the lord jesus christ there's a there's a podcast that i love to listen to when i'm just uh, waiting for the kettle to boil or just driving around uh, maybe coming to see one of you and it's called practical shepherding and it's two pastors That are uh, really giving advice to the listeners. Maybe people have written in and asked questions, and they're seeking to help them uh, along the way. And one of the pastors summed up the practical, uh, summed up the the call of the pastor rather like this. He said, The call of a pastor is to get the sheep to heaven in the best shape possible. To get the sheep to heaven in the best shape possible. And so that's why I seek to feed you. Uh, that's why I pray for you and for us. And that's why I seek to care for you as well. But my question for us today is this. Will you help me in that? Uh, will you help me in seeking to get one another to heaven in the best shape possible? By avoiding all of the attitudes and the habits and the actions that Paul tells us to avoid here. And by pursuing all All of the attitudes and the habits and the customs that Paul tells us to pursue here. Now, many of you do that. And frankly, many of you are like machines for Christ. You should be on the payroll of the church. But there are still so many needs in the life of this church. And in order for us to stay motivated to meet those needs... Allow me to say this, remember who we are. We are nothing less than the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the brother and the sister that is sat next to you today was one for whom Christ died, was one for whom Christ was thinking as he poured out his life to death. And one day we will be presented to the Lord Jesus Christ as a bride without spot, wrinkle, blemish or any such thing. Is the church not worth our honesty? Is the church not worth our pure words? Is the church not worth our service and help? We're the bride of Christ, friends. Remember who we are. And so we're to match our walk with our wardrobe, number one for one another. But number two as well, in view of God. This is the second reason. This is the, the second rope that binds all of these commands together. We've looked at the first and number two, the second, in view of God. Look at verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That is, do not distress the Holy Spirit of God. Do not distress the Holy Spirit by doing all of the things here that Paul says not to do and by doing all of the things and by resisting the things that Paul tells us to do. Why? Well, because Ephesians tells us that the Spirit is the seal of God, the mark, the brand of God's ownership on our lives, the very member of the Trinity that is keeping us for the day of redemption. How could we distress Him? Why would we want to distress Him? And friends, what we need to realize today is that with the more that we do grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the less of His help we'll know in our lives. He'll never leave us or forsake us in a a final sense. But the Holy Spirit will distance Himself from us. And when the Holy Spirit distances himself from us, we'll feel like we're seeking to walk underwater as we seek to walk to heaven. The Holy Spirit is referred to in Scripture as our helper, the one who comes alongside. And if we grieve the Holy Spirit, we'll find ourselves feeling like Samson without his hair, unable to conquer. The Holy Spirit is referred to in Scripture as, as our comforter. And if we grieve the Holy Spirit, then the less of His con- consolation will know when we are heartbroken. We'll be like the, the bride in the Song of Solomon who slept in when the husband came knocking on the door and then he walked away. And she was destitute and she was heartbroken and she was weeping when she felt that she needed Him. The Holy Spirit is spoken of in Scripture as our teacher. And so the more that we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the more that we will walk towards that darkened mind that we used to have when we were unbelievers. Matching our walk with our wardrobe is about so much more than keeping the rules. It is about your survival as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. I opened this sermon uh, with a little excerpt from Pilgrim's Progress, and I want to read another one to you because you remember when Christian was on his way to the celestial city, he came to the house of the interpreter. And the interpreter showed Christian scenes or pictures or allegories in order to help him on his journey. And he showed Christian a man who was sat in an iron cage. The man appeared very sad, we read. His eyes stared downcast at the ground, his hands folded with his fingers intertwined. He sighed as if his heart would break. Christian looked from the sad man to the interpreter. What does this mean? Talk to him. The interpreter pointed to the man in the cage. Christian looked to the man and asked, what are you doing here? And the man answered, I'm not what I once was. What were you once? The man said, I was once a thriving, professing Christian. Both in my own eyes and in the eyes of others. I at one time was totally convinced I was on my way to the celestial city. I even had joyous thoughts about my arrival there. Well, what are you now? Christian asked. The man let out another sigh. I am now a man of despair and am held captive by it. Just as this iron cage betrays, I cannot get out. Oh, how depressed I am now because I cannot get out. But what happened? How did you end up in this condition? I neglected to watch and be sober. I loosened the restraints that kept my lusts in check. I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God. With each statement, his voice grew more troubled. I grieved the Spirit and he is gone. I flirted with temptation and the devil came to me. I have provoked God to anger and he has left me. I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent. And many of you will know that Christian would soon find himself in a cage just like that one. And yet you'll also know that the point of the allegory is that every true believer has a way out of that iron cage or that dungeon of despair. Because around his neck there is a key called promise. And this promise is able to open any door. And it's able to break the door on any iron cage. But if we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, then we will find ourselves in that cage, ourselves. And one day in that cage is as a thousand years. So friend, listen, if you have lied to others, if your anger has been unrighteous, if your talk has been corrupting, Settle the matter with the Lord first, and then with your brother or sister. Do not harden your heart, or you will find yourself in a cage as hard as iron. So we're to match our walk with our wardrobe in view of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives, but also in view of the Father and the Son and their forgiveness of us. Look at verse 32. Paul rights, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Because if our new wardrobe came from God's kindness to us, and God's tenderness toward us, and God's forgiveness of us, then friends, it is our duty to go and to do likewise. Just think for a moment back to that moment when God opened your eyes to show you the evil and the sinfulness of your sin and yet His kindness to you, His tender heart to you, His forgiveness of you. It was as though He raised His hands before you in order for you to see His nail-pierced hands. And He said to you, today... You will be with me in paradise. And you said to him, No, Lord. I have hated you from birth. And he said to you, You will be with me in paradise. And you said to him, Lord, I almost convinced myself that you don't exist because I didn't want you to exist. And he said to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And you said, no, Lord, because I have thrown your law into the scum of the earth and I have trampled it down. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. You will be with me in paradise. And so you said to him, then Lord, take me to paradise now. Open the gates before me now. To die is gain. And he said to you, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons set by my Father. You come and follow me. Be kind to my brothers. They are the princes of heaven. Be tender hearted to my sisters. They are the heirs of the kingdom that was made ready for them before the foundation of the world. And forgive one another even as I have forgiven you. You will be with me in paradise. If we are gonna match our walk with our wardrobe, then my friend, we need to remember where our wardrobe came from. It came from his kindness, it came from his tender heart, it came from his forgiveness of us. And this doesn't mean that there's never a time to. Challenge one another. This doesn't mean there's never a time for us to rebuke one another and to admonish one another. The Bible tells us to do that and this doesn't mean that a shepherd is to be kind to a wolf because for a shepherd to be kind to a wolf is for the shepherd to be unkind to the entire flock of God. But our disposition toward one another must say this, my door is open to you. And nothing would thrill me more than for us to be reconciled as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what, friends? I believe that obeying and embodying what Paul commands here will be so much more effective in our day than perhaps we realize. Why do I say that? Because in 2023, cancel culture is growing. And in our cancel culture, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And what that means is one wrong tweet, your life is over. There's no mercy, there's no grace, there's no restoration, there's no forgiveness for you ever. But for us, the blood has already been shed and therefore we can forgive And we can reconcile and we can restore because there is a basis for our forgiveness with one another. What is it? It is the same same basis of our forgiveness with God. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed from before the foundation of the world that is to cover a multitude of sins. And therefore, friend, if you find this hard, can I close by commanding, uh, commending two practices for us. Number one, confess your sin daily. No, not his sin, not her sin, but your sin. That's when we'll discover the plank that is in our own eye, even as we go to take out the speck that is in our brother's eye. And second, Remember the cost of your forgiveness because when you remember that God cleared the billions that you owed him with the blood of his son, all of a sudden you find it hard to resent your brother for the fiver that he owes you. Match your walk with your wardrobe. Number one, for one another. And number two, in view of God. Amen. Let me pray for us and we'll respond by singing together. Heavenly Father, for the forgiveness that we have in and through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we worship and we adore you and we praise you. Where would we be without it? We would be in hell where we belong. And yet, Lord, you have removed the garment that we once wore and you have washed us in the blood of your Son. And you have clothed us with a garment of righteousness and holiness. And therefore, Lord, we pray that you would enable us to walk in a way that corresponds to that righteousness and holiness. And that, Lord, we would honor you for all that you have done in our life through your Holy Spirit and through the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask and pray. Amen.